Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries, and we're going to be going over some Q&A. And we're going to be talking about that. Before I do, I have to introduce the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Doing wonderful. Excited about this show, bro. No, me too. And, and we actually have gotten a number of questions today that we're excited to go through with you guys. We're going to be going through at least the first half, and we'll see uh, for you guys who are acquainted with Good Fight Ministries. You know, Joe is, is hard to get uh, short-winded on some of these answers, and they're important questions. So we don't want to just give these quick answers that hopefully that will suffice. No, we want to actually dig into them. So we have gotten a number of questions from our Patreon subscribers. And for those who don't know, we do have a Patreon page, and you can check it out at good uh, patreon.com slash goodfight. Another thing we're excited about is go through some of these Patreon subscribers and the questions that they've had. And we had them call in, and they gave quite a few questions. And don't forget, you can also check us out on our YouTube channel or also just on our Facebook channel. You can ask a few questions. I'll try to pull them up on the second half of the show. But the first one will be dedicated to those Patreon subscribers. And the first one that we're going to deal with is a question. I think it is a very common question that we get in all the time. And this one is from our brother Dan out in Illinois. Let's play the clip. Hey, this is for the Patreon thing. Uh, My name is Dan Smith. I have talked to Chad on several occasions. He's helped me a lot. My question for Pastor Joe is how do you convince myself and others, or I guess how do you better explain the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I asked because when I was younger, I said many curse words directed at God and whether I did it the Holy Spirit, I honestly can't remember, but that still freaks me out to this day. Thank you. Hey there, Dan. Praise the Lord, bro. It has been great getting to know you a little bit uh, over the phone and, and talking with you. So I'm excited to have Joe answer this question. I know we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, but Joe, what about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And could he have done this maybe on accident, uh, I guess, as a younger man? No, it's a great question, Dan. Uh, and something, you know, you said still freaks you out. So Obviously, it's something that uh, has not left your consciousness and that you haven't totally resolved. And that's probably true of so many believers, especially those who are sensitive to the Lord and and fear the Lord and are in a good place with the Lord because we definitely want to uh, not grieve the Spirit. We don't want to certainly ever blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But it's a great question. Uh, I don't believe from hearing what you said that you committed blasphemy the Holy Spirit is a very serious sin, obviously. Uh, because Jesus talked about it being unforgivable. So uh, let's talk about the nature of that sin. And uh, when Jesus said it won't be forgiven or will never be forgiven, what's he talking about? What if somebody actually had, uh, feels like they actually did blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Uh, a lot of people say a lot of careless things, you know. And Jesus talks about idle words there in Matthew 12 when he's talking about blaspheming the Holy Spirit and every idle word will be brought into judgment there, I think, in chapter 20, chapter 12, verse 30, 31. But uh, this is a very important question. Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, I believe it's verses 
uh, 19 uh, through 21 there or so. He said, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and blasphemies with whatsoever they shall blaspheme. And that covers all sins, right? But then he gives the exception. Uh, he, he states, uh, but if someone you know, blasphemes, he says, the Holy Ghost, uh, he will not uh, be forgiven. He'll never be forgiven. Uh, but is in danger of eternal damnation. I'm quoting from the King James. Uh, that's what I, how I memorized that verse or those verses 30 years ago. And then the very next verse, I think that's chapter 3, verse 28 and 29, actually. Then in verse 30, it says exactly what they did. So we get identification of what that sin is. It says, because they said he had an unclean spirit. So they were basically saying that Jesus was possessed by the devil. Uh, we get detail in this, in Matthew chapter 12, gives us some other details, because they were saying that he was doing his miracles by the power of Beelzebub. See, they could not deny his miracles. That's one of the wonderful things about the testimonies of the Gospels, is Nicodemus said, we know that you're from God, because nobody can do these things unless he's from God. So Nicodemus, the, the teacher of the Jews, uh, let Jesus know that they're having a, a report, which Jesus, of course, already did know. <laughs> but he's letting them know, hey, when we talk amongst ourselves, we know that only God can do these things which is very important because deep down they were convicted that the Holy Spirit was, that God was speaking to them. And, but at the same time, they did not want to have him, Jesus reign over them as Jesus brings out by basically quoting them in one of his parables. And they didn't want to submit to him. They didn't want to uh, leave their, 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 their religious power structure as religious leaders and so forth. So they began to attribute his miracles instead of saying, oh, they were fake or he's not really doing these things. They, they had no, they, you see a person that's dead walking around. <laughs> You know, you see people that were blind that can see, and you see all these, these evidences. They had to attribute, if they wanted to get out of the conviction, his works to the Holy Spirit. So they said that you're doing them by the power of Beelzebub. Now, this is very important to understand, because when you go through the narrative in Matthew chapter 12, and I'm not sure why more people don't point this out, and sometimes I second-guess my own uh, exegesis here because I don't see it pointed out. In fact, I haven't read a whole lot of commentaries on Matthew 12 through the years I have read uh, some commentaries, but even when you hear the answer given for this uh, problem that I'm going to give you, uh, that I believe offers some hope. So let's say, for instance, by the way, Jesus said, if you know, all sin, even if you've spoken against the Son of Man, he said, you'll be forgiven. So it sounds like you don't recollect any speaking against the Holy Spirit. But why would Jesus forgive somebody speaking against him? Many people have. People use his name in vain daily by the millions, right? But they can still be saved. But why specifically the Holy Spirit? That's a question I think is important to ask or answer. And I'm going to try to wrap this up because I know we have a bunch of questions, but this is such an important one yeah. uh, that to lead off with. That's a great question. Is in Matthew 12, after they specifically say that the Holy Spirit, they're saying that the power that is using Jesus is real, really Satan, really Beelzebub. After they say that, after they've done the very thing Jesus told them they ought not do, guess what he says to them? You know what he says to them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33? I mean, he says, he that's not with me is against me, that gathers not with me, scatters abroad. Chapter 12, verse 30, it talks about every idle word and so forth. Then in chapter 12, verse 33, he gives them an opportunity to get right with God. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree evil and its fruit evil. And he's, you know, he goes on to talk about, or say after that, a tree is known by its fruit. So he's letting these same folks who had just done this dastardly, deed, letting them know that they can still make the tree good if they so choose and make its fruit good. So I think that's important to understand because I was talking to you, and I'll just give you one example. 
of a young man that I met when I was a young guy. I was probably 18 or 19 years old. I was a brand new Christian, and this guy came in and out of the church I was going to and at the time, and he was a Satanist. And then all of a sudden, he was a Christian. Then he all of a sudden professed to be a Satanist, then he professed to be a Christian. And I didn't really take his Christianity seriously, but I cared for him as a person. So I saw him, and he had questions. I wanted to talk. I would spend some time with him trying to encourage him to follow the Lord and be serious. Well, years, I, then I hadn't seen him for years. Then, boom, he starts starts coming to the fellowship, Blessed Oak Chapel, where I pastor. And I'd see him off and on here and there in the streets and what have you. And he was, you know, really demonized. I'll just say that. And sometimes, I mean, one time he'd be in the back and he'd just come and watch for a while and he'd leave. And, and then he asked me about that question because he said that he committed all these rituals that are in the Satanic Bible but couldn't find a ritual against the Holy Spirit. So he specifically, when he was in prison, did a ritual whereby he specifically drew up this ritual to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And he said, and this is after years of following Satan. And he said after, when he did it, he said that he felt, and I'm not saying this actually occurred, because this could have been very, you know, you know, uh, I'm sure it was very spiritual, but he says he felt the Holy Spirit rip out of him at that point. And I personally had a hard time believing the Holy Spirit would still be in him prior to all that, or before this blasphemy of the Spirit and so forth. But uh, either way, it was such a traumatic experience that he went nuts in prison. And ever since that time, he said he'd been on, uh, you know, uh, drugs to keep him from just utterly freaking out. And I actually gave, gave that to him because uh, that scripture, not the drugs, <laughs> I actually gave him chapter 12, verse 33, called him on the phone one day and said, hey, buddy, I said his name. I said, I just want to let you know that eternity is forever. So if you could ever do anything, if there's any opportunity to get right with God, you want to do that. It's important. So this is not one we just want to just stop right at this point. You have to understand this. God wants you to understand, uh, I, I told him, that he, I mean, he gives an opportunity to make the tree right, make the tree good and this fruit good right here after these guys do this. So I said, now, if you don't believe that that gives you an opportunity, whether you do or not, I would still go through that door as much as possible because you're going to a hellish eternity in the lake of fire forever and ever. You need to get right with God. You need to do everything in your power, which is exercise genuine faith in Jesus Christ right now and never turn back. Now, keep in mind, this is a guy that was so double-minded, and that's the way I knew him. So I, at the same time, didn't know that he'd even take my word seriously if he believed that text did offer him hope at that point. So what I'm saying with all this is that you can so hard in your heart, though, I believe. So what's what's happening there? Jesus is talking about these guys who are actually saying that this is by, that's the devil. That's not, basically, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the power of God that you're doing by. That's the devil. They're actually saying that. He gives them opportunity to still make the tree green. What's going on there? Wait, I thought it's an unforgivable sin. So in my estimation, and I think this is very, very helpful, in my estimation, it's not just a one-time immediate act flippantly, or even with these Pharisees coming to this conclusion at a, at a moment of time, but it seems to be a digging in of the heels into a position whereby the very agency, the very person that God uses to draw you to Jesus, right, to convict you of sin, uh, to bring you to not only justification, but to sanctify you, which is, and who is operative in uh, election, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, uh, that very agent, uh, you if you blaspheme him and you set your heels against him and speak against him and don't accept his witness of Christ, of course, you can't be forgiven because now you have so dug in your feet that you won't respond to the very one who leads you to Christ. So my personal conviction is that the Holy Spirit, uh, that it's something where you have to dig in your feet and it has to be done to an extent to where you have become so hardened that you would never want anything to do with Jesus. And if you want something to do with Jesus, if you love him, 
and you're seeking him, uh, you can't even do that without the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that nobody can say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's not talking about whimsically just saying, oh, Jesus is my Lord, but not following him. From Sincerely from the heart, you can't do that except by the Holy Spirit. So if you're seeking Jesus and you love him uh, and, you're, and he's your Lord and you confess him as your Lord, uh, he says, whoever comes to me, I won't cast away. You just rest in his arms and rejoice in your salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, we want to just thank you so much, Dan, for, for sending that in. Once again, for the, for the first half of this, and it looks like it might be a little longer than the first half uh, so far, but for the first half of this, we're going to be going through different Patreons and those who have subscribed to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash goodfight. And then we'll also be taking some questions on YouTube later in this episode. And we just got added, I, I found out, the uh, super chat aspect. So things get popped up really easy for us if you guys use that on our YouTube channel. So you can check that out. So we have another question. Um, this is a little different than blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And this comes from our brother, Sam from Florida. Let's check it out. Hey guys, this is Sam from Cocoa Beach, Florida. I've got a two-part question here for you. Number one, is birth control actually maybe a form of abortion? As I've been learning a lot of them do not stop conception, but they do not allow for an environment for the embryo, the fertilized embryo, aka baby, to survive in the womb. Is this a form of uh, abortion? So Joe is... Birth control, this, what he's talking about specifically, a form of abortion. Yeah, well, birth control, by the very term, if you're talking about birth control, just strictly birth control, uh, birth control can include abortion because in when you're talking, because you're controlling whether someone is born or not. So you can abort your baby and call it birth control. People do that all the time. And they, in fact, many liberals use abortion as a form of birth control. So, uh, so I think what, and that's another, we're getting all these great questions, you know, because yeah. another serious question, because I'm a murder, mass murder here in our country, over 60 million babies murdered. And, uh, when, uh, but, uh, and I think what you're talking about is, you know, contraception, contraceptives, you know, and, uh, contraceptives are meant to keep you from getting pregnant, right? But that's a great question because some of these, can these contraceptives also cause an abortion? And it's a very, very important question. Uh, I think it's important that we uh, think about this, think this through. So let's, but I know we got a lot of questions to answer. So let me just try to do this in a, in a few minutes. Uh, in the early church period, uh, there's a lot of amazing quotes I've read from the church fathers about pharmakeia. Uh, and pharmakeia was used for two forbidden reasons uh, in the first century uh, against uh, the Lord's will that the first century Christians identify. One was, you contact the demonic world through opening yourself up through hallucinogenic type drugs, mind altering drugs, illicit drugs uh, that would open you up to demonic powers. Uh, those were forbidden. Those are forbidden in Revelation 21, 8, chapter 22, verses 14 and 15 of Revelation, chapter 9, 19 through 21, and elsewhere. But also the pharmacia was used, and this is where it's condemned even more broadly because it was so, so, so well, so common in the early church as uh, 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 where people would take drugs to kill the baby that was growing in the woman's womb. And this was forbidden in the first century by the early church fathers. And uh, standing up against abortion and, and being pro-life is has a long history for the Christian church since the very beginning. Let the little children come unto me, right? But it's interesting when we're talking about contraceptives, uh, you have to be very, very careful. Uh, even though a lot of contraceptives are billed as, you know, uh, don't, you know, that, that, oh, this is just to prevent you from getting pregnant. Uh, first of all, like the morning after pill, that's been well known. Uh, 
to cause abortions, you know? And uh, there's conflicting studies, but when, it's, when studies conflict, you can't be there to actually see the study through all the way and be a medical expert. I would earn the side of life. But even the pill, okay, and I think this is important, even the pill, my wife and I, uh, after we got married, we decided, you know, not to you take, you know, didn't want her on the pill. She didn't want it either. Uh, because the pill itself, and many women don't know this, but uh, there's three three ways that it prevents, that it offers birth control. And the first way is to keep the, you know, ovary uh, from, you know, <laughs> coming out and, and being viable and so forth and destroying basically the ovary. But that's not a baby, right? That's just the ovary. So it, technically it wouldn't be an abortion, that's for sure. But the, if, but if that doesn't happen, the ovary comes down and it comes down the fallopian tube. Well, then the second mission of the pill is to stop the sperm from swimming up to the ovary by causing, uh, thick, by thickening the cervical fluid to where it's harder for that sperm to swim up and actually implant itself in the ovary and bringing forth a baby. I don't like to call it a fetus or a zygote, like it's just some cell. It's a baby at conception, right? So that's the second means. That's the backup plan. But there's a secondary backup plan. There's three plans. There's a secondary backup plan. That is now that if the baby has, if there's been a conception to keep that, that, that baby from being implanted on the uterine or the, the wall of the womb and basically create an inhospitable environment in the womb to where this baby now can't be that now you have an, you have a baby, you know, and it's, 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 you know, most primitive form right there. And then the body just flushes it out because of this hormonal change that's taking place through the whatever drug you might be taking. Different drugs can do this, but the pill is known. That's now by the way, uh, I remember when Obama was running for president, guess what? Oh, you know, studies seem to show that that third thing isn't taking place. You know, the pill isn't really, you know, and and it was just happened to come out that but that but a 2001 study, a 2007 study actually shows that the environment changes in the body which could cause an abortion. So I mean, I'm giving you some in-depth answers, but if if I ask you in about a minute, I'd probably say what you already knew, right? So, you know, and we put our thoughts together and, and together, hopefully iron sharpens iron and you get to a, a better understanding. But personally, for me, I err on the side of caution. I err on the side of life. I err on the side of grace of, with a potential baby. And my, my wife and I, I mean, sound primitive, but we practice the rhythm method and we still only had three children and <laughs> it worked for us. So, uh, but when I'm not saying what method to practice or what have you, but uh, I'm glad that this is a concern to you. And I wish more Christians had this concern uh, because babies are being aborted right, left by professing Christians don't even know they're doing it. Amen. And uh, Sam actually had another question that he added on top of that that we'll answer now. Hmm. Hey, guys, this is Sam from Cocoa Beach, Florida. I've got a two-part question here for you. Number one, is birth control actually maybe a form of abortion? As I've been learning, a lot of them do not stop conception, but they do not allow for an environment for the embryo, the fertilized embryo, aka baby, to survive in the womb. Is this a form of uh, abortion? Okay, no, you want me to answer that again, guys? No, no. <laughs> I'm just teasing. That, yeah, the, the, that's Josh's fault. He'll play the clip again. <laughs> no problem, Josh. We uh, all do things like that. Oh, you don't have it? Okay, well, the question that he had asked, the second part was, he said, hey, you know, I'm post-trib, and is there any preparation or stockpiling or so forth that we could do to prep ourselves 
uh, and for the, the great tribulation and so forth that Christians should be doing right now? Yeah, I'm not personally opposed to that. Uh, but you know what? There should be a huge stockpiling, I believe. Every true Christian should be stockpiling oil, okay? And I'm talking about the oil of the Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> uh, because we read in Matthew chapter 25 in regard to Jesus' return uh, that the 10 virgins that are to be prepared for the bridegroom's coming, they all fall asleep. They all have oil in their lamps to begin with, but then they wake up, they trim their lamps, but five of them run out of the oil, okay? And they don't have light. The Bible says the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. And uh, throughout Scripture, we see that the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's when this oil flows through in the menorah and light comes forth in the Old Testament. Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's imperative that as believers, that we're spirit-filled, that we're surrendered to the Lord during the tribulation period. And even right now, because through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, uh, Matthew chapter, or Acts chapter 14, verse 22. So I'm not going to give a long answer on this one because I know we have to make up time because I can refer you to last night's Bible study, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. I'm like, wow, I just did a message called uh, Spiritual Survival in the End of Days. And it's part of a huge series I'm doing where I look at the scriptures about how to be prepared for the tribulation period. Now, I personally am one that puts a far higher premium on being spiritually prepared than physically prepared because I believe if we seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. He'll take care of us. Now, that taking care of us might be putting on our hearts for our particular situation and our particular family or what have you, maybe to stockpile food or to have a place to go to or what have you, because I'm, I've tried not to lord it over people at all. So when it comes to how a person feels led to deal with uh, the tribulation period should it come in our lifetimes, uh, I don't believe it's a one-size-fits-all. And I've said that before, but I actually got that answer when I was at uh, Skeptics, you know, uh, you know, discernment, you know, conference in Canada, and I gave a bunch of different answers. And I actually go through the different answers and show there's different scenarios that people find themselves in tribulation. Could be beheaded, could be prison, could be in your home where the Lord protects you, where it says, I give this, I, I give references and everything up there. Could be going to the wilderness, chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, where the Lord protects you, on and on and on. So I just want to encourage you to check out last night's message called Spiritual Survival in the Last Days. And I've got a whole series, I'll probably do 10 of those messages or more before we're done with that series, Lord willing, uh, to be spiritually prepared because that's the most important thing. But seek the Lord on that because that's an individual thing. Amen. And for those who are on our YouTube channel right now, I actually already put a link to the uh, teaching from last night as well. So our next question, this one I kind of like uh, a lot. I, I love this topic that we're going to be talking about here. And this is from our brother Andrew out in Connecticut. I know his his wife is always a part of the live stream group with Blessed Oak Chapel where uh, Pastor Joe uh, actually pastors, and so you guys can always get along there as well. But yes, uh, let's hear what Andrew had to ask. Oh, my name is Andrew. I'm calling from Hamden, Connecticut. I have a question on uh, is deathbed salvation possible? And is Luke 23, 29 to 49, 43 as an example of it? Thank you. So the question is, Joe, is deathbed conversion possible? And the thief on the cross is what he's referring to there. The thief on the cross. Luke 23. The, yeah. the one in, in Luke 23, the one who came to Christ. Mm -hmm. Is that a good reference point to start off? I think this question even would probably be a great way to ask it. Well, wow, I've just noticed a little trend here because these questions often do with life and death matters, whether it's spiritual life. 
Blast in the Holy Spirit and abortion. Uh, this question, spiritual preparation in the tribulation period. Uh, I think Luke 23 is a great way to, to affirm, yes, there's definitely deathbed conversions. I mean, that was a death uh, cross conversion. I mean, he was next to Jesus uh, just before he expired. And he was headed to, you know, Hades just prior to that. And then he ends up uh, uh, crying out to Jesus. And he he basically, I mean, he declares Jesus is, is Lord, you know. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Uh, kingdom. He's recognizing he's king, right? Declare Jesus Christ as Lord or as, or as king uh, is, you know, a prerequisite to salvation. You must uh, confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So there's no doubt that this person uh, was saved. It's it's so beautiful. And in fact, just prior to that, uh, he had been, because we know from, if you do harmony of the Gospels, you'll see in one of the other Gospels, he's actually speaking against Jesus. And, uh, uh, you know, with the other guy, he's basically, you know, ridiculing Jesus, mocking him. And he had a change of heart after he saw Jesus, uh, basically the son of God, you know, uh, different than anybody else would be at that point because he revealed who he was. Uh, and he was drawn to him and confessed him as Lord. So that, that definitely teaches that deathbed conversion could be, could happen. Uh, but I would give a caution. Uh, before I give this caution, I'll rejoice though. I, I believe there's probably thousands and thousands and thousands of people who had deathbed conversions more this year than ever in maybe the history of man. And I'm thinking of because of COVID. And, you know, millions of people, not just because of COVID, but millions of people not being able to visit their mm-hmm. loved ones in hospitals. You have all these millions of people in hospitals dying not just with COVID, but other sicknesses who aren't able to get visits. And as horrifying as that is, there's an upside to that. A lot of, for a lot of these folks, the only person to talk to is the Lord. And many of these people, I would be really hard to believe that there weren't many of these people that cried out to God for mercy and that God had revealed himself to them through the gospel. So I definitely believe in deathbed conversions. Uh, however, I want to give a caution to some, because some people can think, oh man, I could just wait till the end of my life and then come to Jesus. The Emperor Constantine had kind of an attitude like that because, uh, some of the church by the fourth century was teaching that if you sinned after your baptism, you know, you couldn't uh, get sick or you couldn't be right with God, you know, uh, and or, you know, there's different versions of that. So Constantine said, you know what, I'm going to wait till I'm dead. That's so the story goes. And when I'm about to die, when I'm about to die, then I'll be baptized. Well, that's not true repentance because then you're not repenting because you've broken God's heart and you're grieved because of your sin and you've offended the thrice holy God. At that point, you're just concerned. You want to hold on to your sin. Okay. I think it's important because in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, it talks about two types of sorrow. It talks about worldly sorrow that leads to death and godly sorrow that leads to repentance, which leads to life. And there's a big difference. Worldly sorrow is you're sorry, you're bummed out because you got caught, you know, but godly sorrow is, man, I've offended God. I've broken his heart. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm under God's judgment because of how wicked I've been. And I can't believe I've done this. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I want to be right with you. And that's true repentance. Godly sorrow. The sorrow itself isn't repentance, but it leads to repentance, which leads to life. So for many people, uh, they're, they're like, oh, you know, I'll repent later. But if you wait until the very last second, you've been planning to do that all along. Is that really, truly repentance? Only God would be able to know your heart at that moment because you might repent of not repenting all that time as well. I don't know. But I wouldn't play with it because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Don't harden your hearts when the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Hebrews 3, it says, now is the day of salvation. So let's make sure we all make sure we're right with Jesus right now. 
You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.